0: Hello. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's December 3rd, 2021. I'm Maggie Lake. And here with me today is the Bond King, Steve Van Meter. Hi, Steve.
1: Hi, Maggie. Great to see you again.
0: Yeah, same here. Well, so much for gliding into the new year, the end of the year. I mean, this end of November, start of December with a Thanksgiving holiday here in the US thrown in has been um, marked by some pretty big swings in the market. You know, We had stocks today, bounding back pretty strongly of the Dow up more than 700 or about 2%, S&P 500 up 1.5%. Oil, we've seen that, that big leg down uh, again in that sort of period in between. And then it has been recovering. Today, it's up, even though OPEC announced they'll be upping production, sort of bowing to international pressure. And then we have that 10-year bond hovering around one4 Four one point four four five percent. What do you make of all these moves? What's going on?
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting because on one hand you have risk asset stocks, you know, going going up, and you have the, like crude oil going down, treasury yields going down, dollar rising, and what you're seeing is financial conditions are starting to tighten. And that's the best indicator of that is you look at dollars, or what I call zero duration bonds. You know They're telling you current financial conditions are starting to tighten up. And then you look at the, the Treasury yields, or the curve across the curve you're seeing, even on the 30-year, it's tiny. So it's telling you future financial conditions are going to tighten. And all of a sudden, that you you see crude oil going down. And what's interesting is crude oil goes lower. Well, it tends to lead the equity market... But investors are so excited about a dip in stocks that they can't help themselves, and they're buying in, and they're totally missing the picture. They can't see financial conditions are tightening, but it's happening right in front of our eyes. I mean, we see that in the precious metals. We see gold going down. uh, We see gold mining stocks down. I mean, we're seeing just the same thing across these other asset classes, except the broad equities, as financial conditions are tightening.
0: Why is that happening, Steve?
1: Well, that's just an effect of you know monetary policy is we look at what quantitative easing does, is it actually tightens financial conditions unless you get lending growth. And even though the Fed's going to taper, or actually, they are tapering. I shouldn't say they're going to. They, they actually have started to taper. Uh, one of the byproducts of quantitative easing is it causes the money supply to, to grow. Now, I know there's some people going, aha, he's finally admitting the Fed prints money. No, that's not exactly how it works. At, in fact, it's not exactly, it's not how it works at all. Uh, what happens is the Fed suppresses rates so low that savers have no alternative. So they put money in the bank. That ba- money in the bank gets converted to a, a treasury security or a bank reserve, and then the Fed swaps it. So by reducing QE, by tapering their balance sheet, they're actually going to slow the growth rate of the money supply as well. That brings upon volatility, tighter financial conditions. And so we're just seeing a lot of those lagging effects of QE. Um, I know Rob Powell, over the years, has said it can be you know a six to nine-month lag, some maybe even longer today. And we're just seeing this these lags catch up, financial conditions tighten. And well, it just hasn't hit in the equity market yet, but it will.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, we did. the the thing with stocks is that we are seeing, people sort of can't decide what to do, it seems. We are seeing, when we see down days, they've been big. I mean, the numbers are big percentage-wise. It's always important to look at the percentage, right? Because it doesn't nearly look like that when when you factor that in. But still, we are seeing these swings that we didn't before. And it seems like people are confused. And you lay on top of that we've had some headlines out. you know. First, the Fed, I mean, I heard someone joke saying that the Fed's main job is not to make news, but they did, they did come out testifying in front of Congress and actually said from speed up taper, everybody was sort of caught off guard by that. But uh, the bluntness around it, you have the news of a new variant and people don't know what that means. It, it, it seems like people are very confused at what all of this means for the economy.
1: Right. And then you know, you look at vol- why is volatility rising? Financial conditions are tightening. Why are is- stocks swing? There just isn't as much liquidity. So on down days, it gets amplified. And then today on up days, it gets amplified. You know, volatility is a knife- that it cuts both directions. And a lot of people think that it, it's just a one-way street, and no, it it can work for you and work very much against you. Uh, but you're right, all, all there's uncertainties coming back in the market at a time when liquidity is getting really thin, and that is usually not favorable for risk assets. Again, in the short term, it, it can be, but as time passes, it usually is not.
0: Yeah. And we can see that in the vix right that is the yeah. the index that many people the volatility index that many people use as a sort of proxy or a gauge for fear in the market that that's around uh, 28 25 just for reference um, one month ago on november 3rd it was at 15 and i remember guests coming on commenting about how low it was and sort of looking at that so we see that people are more more concerned we have a great question Um, from Frankie um, on the RV site. Why do yields lead the market down when lower yields should ignite more borrowing and cash out refis, et cetera, which buoy demand? I think this confuses a lot of people because you think interest rates are at historic lows. There should be money washing through the system. But I know you and others have been looking at that loan data and saying it's just, it's not getting out into the real economy.
1: Yeah, and and Frankie's question is is a really common one because the the broad belief is if interest rates go down that has to mean financial conditions are easing. And what I like to say is that when interest rates go down, they don't ease financial conditions until they do. So what what is the conditional part that means they do? Well, they must borrow money as Frankie said. Well, mm-hmm. but the problem is they're not. And banks aren't really wanting to lend as much. Consumers really aren't in a position to be borrowing as much. And so what happens is rates are going down because there isn't enough money being created by the monetary system to support all the things that needs to be held up. So you know, I, I like to tell people the monetary system is kind of a living, breathing entity. We don't think of it that way, but we we have asset prices up, we have stock prices up, we have a lot of things that are up, and we need money in the system to keep them up. Well, if you don't have that, it shrinks ranks. So think of it this way. Uh, if you're imagine if if our height was relative to our blood pressure so if your blood pressure rose maybe you, you became eight foot tall I and mean, people are like wow you know Steve is really amped up <laughs> okay, look how, look how but
0: in, that, in that case like, I would not be sitting where I am because I, I would my, my head would be out of my roof right now
1: right but if, if your blood pressure was low maybe you're like oh wow you're four feet tall well think of the monetary system as that's how it's functioning so it's it's trying to keep these asset prices up and home prices up and everything up but we're not giving enough money to do it so what does it have to do? It has to say, look, if you don't give me what I need, I'm going to create it. And how am I going to do it? Well, I have to get rates down to spur growth and money. And I'm going to keep lowering rates until it does. But the problem is the lower rates go, it's a symptom. It's a it's a sign. If you went to the monetary doctor and you said, hey, what's going on? And they said, wow, rates are really low. It's telling you financial conditions are tight and getting tighter. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, what do you make of of the Fed uh, now coming out and saying they're going to, I mean, going to increase the pace of tapering? Uh, is that the right move, and how do you think that will play out?
1: Uh, as a bond king man, I love it. I, Maggie, I was so excited to hear that they were going to increase the tapering because they have no clue what they're doing at all. And uh, you, you see, here we are talking about financial conditions tightening, and the Fed's like, "Hey, we we have to fight inflation." but it's not monetary inflation. They're fighting supply chain and still the lingering pandemic inflation. Well, monetary policy was never designed to do that. You know, monetary policy does not get ships unloaded to the port of Los Angeles faster. You know, whether you raise or lower rates, it's not, not going to have any effect on that. You know, it doesn't get people in the factory working any faster. It's designed to deal with money printing issues. Now, the Fed can't print money, so they're actually going to go combat inflation that they didn't create, that the world has a perception that they did create, and in turn, they're going to slow the money supply growth so much. In fact, uh, data today says that uh, you know, the weekly trends are actually below the long-term average growth rate of the money supply now. So as the Fed accelerates its tapering plan, it's going to reduce it even further. And you know what's great, Matt, is they're actually going to fix inflation. They're not going to fix it the way they think they're going to fix it, but they're going to fix it by triggering. Another recession. Yeah, yeah, they're going to have another recession. Um
0: some people say that QB doesn't do what it's supposed to do anyway, so why keep doing it? I mean it's not it's not what the you know the argument you were making, but, but, but what do you make of that? Why, why why confuse matters by continuing a policy that doesn't seem to be having the intended effect anyway?
1: well it, it does actually have in fact there's two there's two purposes of quantitative easing. One is to suppress or lower interest rates Now uh, uh, people say, well, it tends to go up well i have actually you know looked at the start to end date and really really don't go up much. Uh, but The idea being is they're, they're designed to suppress lower interest rates. What happens over time, the longer the Fed runs a QE program the, the the market just gets agnostic to it. it just doesn't care anymore. but the second factor is it traps dollars in the commercial bank system with the intent to increase the value of the dollar and that's what we're seeing now this this lagging effect from of the dollar going up And you know people are shaking their head as we're talking right now Maggie and I want them to think about the dollar is a global reserve currency. So as a. US consumer you know and as a global reserve currency, what are the things that need to happen is the US needs to export dollars. So how would I as a consumer want to export my dollars to another country? Now, if the dollar was weak, then that would spur domestic production and domestic consumption. So how do you get Steve to go buy that you know, foreign-produced car that he's you know, dreamed about for years? Well, there's two things he needs. He needs a strong dollar to bring the value of that car down, and he needs low interest rates so he can finance it. And that's what quantitative easing was designed to do. Now, it doesn't mean it works you know, perfectly to what the Fed wants. No, it, it's it's kind of monetary cancer in, a, in a respect. It has some negative implications to it. But- Nevertheless, that is the intention of it, and by pulling that away, um, what we're actually seeing now is the lagging effects of the dollar going up, and then the bond market is telling us that the Fed's making a policy mistake, and financial conditions in the future are expected to get tighter, and that's just the wrong thing for this economy right now.
2: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com.
0: Yeah. By the way, we have a question from RAR Capital. Where do you see the dollar at year end? Do you expect it to continue to strengthen or is it just going to sort of show resilience?
1: Well, I'm terrible at at timing, direction, and price targets. So we'll just say this. And anyone who knows me and watches my, my stuff knows I'm probably I'm one of the worst people at that. Uh, but from a macro perspective, I see the dollar going higher. I don't want to set I don't want to put a price target because it'll it'll probably be wrong. But a, the dollar should continue to head higher because there's nothing going on right now to tell us if financial conditions are easing. We're we're not getting enough lending growth and new money being created, and that's what needs to happen. So rates are going to continue to go down and tighten, 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 if people don't come out and borrow, well, then guess what? The economy has to contract down to the amount of dollars that are there. And that's the part that people don't get. They think, "Oh, stocks can now just are going to go up forever." No. I- again, this is like your body and the blood pressure. It will shrink if you don't give it enough. It will come shrinking down. That's it. and you think about what happened in, you know, the dot-com bubble, what happened in the great financial crisis is the economy just reverted down to the level it needed to to support asset prices. Well, it just meant it- asset prices had to go down a lot.
0: Right. So we have a question um, from Brian on the RV site. Does anyone actually believe the Fed can fully taper, let alone start raising rates? I, I mean, don't. They think- make this procl- proclamation after everyone's talking about inflation, but it, but it seems like they're 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 doing that based on the scenario that you lay out into a sort of you know an economy that's potentially slowing.
1: Yeah, so this is interesting. It's a great question, Brian, because there's the Fed's got a couple problems here. We know that the food inflation is going to keep going up because we can look at fertilizer prices are rising. That's a problem. Energy, thanks to crude oil going down, should ease at some point in the months to come. And we know rent prices are going up because home prices are going up, and rents are generally tied to the value of homes. So what the Fed is going to have a problem with. Is as the dollar goes up, price of imported goods are gonna go down. So inflation in some part is gonna slow, perhaps even you know, reverse direction, while others are gonna be sticky. So that now the Fed's got this thing is hey, we we've got to control this because everyone, some still thinks we created it, and they do, and they're wrong because Fed didn't create it. But nevertheless, the Fed's gotta fight it. Well, will they get to the point, Brian, where? yeah you know, they raise rates i don't think so but i think they're going to aggressively tune up the pace of the taper we know the fed does what the media and wall street tells us to and the only question is how many months of accelerated taper before the whole thing falls apart and the dollar and the bond market are already telling us that yeah, it's not going to go a whole it's not it's not going to go too much longer before things fall apart
0: mm. and it, you know it's funny cuz the fed did successfully it seems separate the issue of tapering from interest rates, which they were trying to do, but but the first announcement of the taper was so telegraphed that everyone thought it was going to be smooth sailing. But now it seems like things are happening quicker, and and you know that that idea that they were going to fully prepare the market for everything seems like it's going to be a little bit tougher for them to do. L- Steve, let me ask yeah. you about. About growth here in the U.S. I mean, I, I just mentioned that they could be moving into a slowing economy. Are we really seeing that? Because we still have seen the data holding up, uh, you know, on on many different fronts. Maybe coming off that really hot pace that we saw, but there's a difference between still growing mm. in a in a robust way and not off the charts red hot coming out of the the reopening. We, how would you characterize U.S. growth right now?
1: Well, I don't think it's hit the fiscal cliff yet, but I I do believe the Black Friday and Cyber Monday sales are giving us a preview of of what's to come. Uh, it, it's kind of like Wiley Coyote, kind of running off the edge of the cliff, and you know he's somewhere off the edge. You know he's still got some momentum there but we can look at the savings rate and we see it's back to where it was before the pandemic and slowing down you know consumers just don't have the money they used to because a lot of them aren't going back to work maybe by choice maybe because you know their stock portfolios or crypto portfolios are up who knows but eventually people are going to run out of money and the economy is going to face plant because of that. I mean, the notion that we could just have this smooth liftoff by pulling back fiscal stimulus and tapering the balance sheet is absurd. But, but the, the belief people have, and you can see it with the way they're investing their money, is that consumers are just loaded with, you know, they've got roomfuls of money. They just can't wait to go spend. But there's no evidence that that's true at all. They, they might have some money left. But without you know government fiscal support in terms of those unemployment benefits, you know the amount of money they have doesn't go that far. And if if again, if Black Friday and Cyber Monday and Apple's announcement uh, are any indication, you know that things are going to slow down. The sales are starting to slow. Well, this is just the beginning of where it goes.
0: Yeah, and and Apple out for those who didn't see it, um, saying that the sales bringing down some forecast sales of sales of the um, iPhone 13, the newer sale with the idea that maybe, um, I mean, clearly there've been some supply side issues, supply chain issues, but also the idea that maybe not everyone running to get the next phone or the new phone. I always think it's a little bit complicated with the cycle of upgrades. Um, but, but still, I mean, a warning, cause you know, we know Apple's products, I mean the past, especially around holiday season, were a must-have. You know, um, Steve, I spoke to I had the opportunity to sit down with David Higgins of Coworkill, who uh worries that China may not be the engine of growth it once was. Let's have a listen to what he had to say.
3: Yeah, I mean the big the big risk with China is that their their heydays of growth are are behind them too. And that's gonna feed into the global growth picture. I mean, China is about uh, 16, 17%, I think of, of global GDP, where the US is about 25. So it's a major chunk of the global GDP picture. And if there's any fallback in their uh, GDP growth rate, that's going to have a, have a ripple effect uh, elsewhere. I mean, the big thing to look out for is the, is the property sector there where there's a lot of, lot of debts. Um, and you know, the risk of a kind of Japan-like, um, a repeat where you have a lot of investment in that sector. And then, uh, kind of pull back, a crash, not it could be slow. It could be, it could be hard crash, but some sort of, um, pull back and all of that and a falling growth rate on the other side of that. That will be clearly negative as well. Now, China has various political ways to, to manage that a bit better than the advanced, um, kind of more free market economies can. Uh, but it's still a headwind out there.
0: And that full interview is available on Essential Plus and Pro tiers. And David very much falling into the camp and making an argument in that interview that the longer term picture um, is disinflationary. That's the environment we're looking at and that some of the readings now um, are really pegged to the supply chain. He just doesn't think that it's sustainable. Um, I think that, that probably dovetails with some of your thinking, if I remember correctly, Steve, that um, we are not in, an, in a reinflationary period, that we are going to see that sort of disinflationary trend kick back in.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Maggie. I mean, you look at China's situation. I mean, real estate is 25% of their GDP, and they've got a, you know, what looks like the U.S. real estate market, maybe even worse, going into the Great Financial Crisis. And that's, you know, as that slows, that will slow domestic consumption. And then you look at, you know, the global economy. If the U.S. consumer has less money and is spending less, well. Who's the biggest exporter? Well, that's China. So that means export orders are going to slow and go down, and all of a sudden you have the entire you know global economy starting to head back into a recession. At a time the policymakers, and this is you know well something I really want to challenge listeners to think about is what are the policymakers doing? They're fighting inflation. that's not monetary inflation. It's not money printing. It's supply chain inflation as the global economy is starting to shrink. So they're literally just you know it, think of it as the global economy is rolling. Over on the ground, and the central bankers are going to come and kick in the stomach a few times, like, hey, take some of this because we need to get rid of inflation. Well, you know, there's a lot of concerns because if China slows down, well, if the world's largest exporter is slowing down, what's going to happen to the world's largest importer? With a lag, we're going to slow down.
0: There, there used to be a saying that when uh, the U.S. has a sniffles, the world catches a cold or something to that effect. Yeah. Um, you know, it's sort of talking about the, the U.S. role as a real driver of global growth. But China very much is on par with that. Um, so can we grow? Even if people disagree with some of the fundamentals and maybe they think the consumer is better off. Um, and that we do have uh, some, you know, some strength here. Can we grow without China? What does, we have this question coming from a viewer, what does China and what they're grappling with as they try to soft land that real estate bubble or um, burst it slowly and methodically, what does that do to your 2022 outlook? I mean, is that a big overhang that we have to worry about? And what does that mean for companies who feed into China, who, where China is a major source of their revenue?
1: Yeah, I mean, you, we are a global interlinked economy now. I mean, people like to think of the US and China, everybody's on their own island, and that's not the case anymore. So, you know, if, if one part of the world is going to slow down, as we've seen, the next part of the world is going to slow down. And we've got these massive bubbles. Due to suppression of interest rates across the world. I mean, you've got real estate in China, you've got stocks and real estate here in the US, you've got real estate in Canada. I mean, you've got who knows what's going on in Europe. I mean, everybody's got bubbles, and all of a sudden, central bankers are panicked about inflation. And they should be, because politically, it's a dangerous game. You know, you look at the past, what happens when prices, you know, you look at consumer price index against recessions when you see these big spikes. Boom! There's a recession that falls, and what happened? And and people in Congress right now are super worried about this going into the midterms next year. I mean, you know, we're a year away, and what they're going to—they're worrying about it. And the reason they are is because consumers can't accept the fact that this is due to the pandemic, they, and they don't want to accept it. They want someone to blame. You know, they—they're they're going to the store and find out, hey, my paycheck doesn't buy as much stuff, and so. Who, who's in office? And they're going to look and say, you're gone, you're gone, and you're gone. And that's what happens every time, because the consumer doesn't want to be poor. And their wages are up, but price of goods and services are up more. So they have less spending politically. It's a dangerous game, leads to recession. And the central bankers know this, but they're, they're combating the wrong thing. I mean, it's like you know, putting water on a grease fire. It doesn't make sense. But all they have is a fire hose. So what are they gonna do? Turn on the water. Let's <laughs> see what write. happens.
2: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads dot com.
0: So movement for the sake of movement. What well, what are the, what are your expectations for bonds here, given given the backdrop you explain?
1: Well, you, you know, bonds should go up a, a quite a bit. Along, uh, we, we should see interest rates go down. We should be, see bond prices go up. We should see the dollar because when the Fed tapers its balance sheet. We see uncertainty lead in the market. We're seeing the VIX pop up. You know, the VIX is a good leading indicator for tightening financial conditions. Bonds tend to like that and follow it. But overall, slower growth leads to lower treasury yields. The only question is how low do they need to go to spur lending growth? That's the question. People say, well, they don't need to go a lot lower. I think they need to go. A considerably amount lower you start to look at this the backdrop a lot of people are shorted either directly because they they've taken out short positions against the bond market or you look at indirectly fund manager surveys say that you know holding to bonds are you know at decade, multi-decade lows that, that no one wants to own them. So it's like saying, hey, you know what? I don't want to, I don't want to buy insurance on fire insurance on my house and then pulling up and you're like, oh, my house is on fire. So you so the first thing you do is you call your insurance agent, hey, can I get that policy after all? It's like, well you can, but the price is going to be really high. And so you see today, consumers buying the dip, You know, got to you know chase equity prices because inflation is going to drive it higher. And they can't see that this fire is starting. There's a little fire starting to burn, and they're all going to come running because nobody's expecting the equity markets to go down. They think that we're still at the beginning of a bull market. But are everything's telling Are you expecting
0: you a precipitous decline in equities? What is your what What are you looking at?
1: Well, I'm looking at the margin debt is off the charts, and typically, when you see the Fed taper its balance sheet, what happens is a lot, a chunk of that margin debt gets flushed out, and sometimes you see it all get flushed out, but there, I don't think we'll see a complete unwinding out of it. But we're seeing short-term rates rise, that will cause you know margin loans to, it rates to go up on the margin loans, and if stocks aren't going up, well, that means people obviously are having to pay their margin debt. And in the past, it was like, well, you know, my stocks were going up, so I don't have to worry about it. Well, now if they don't go anywhere, you know, obviously they're going to have to start to sell, or perhaps you'll see, you know, momentum algorithms, which are you know all over the market, start wow. to peak out and roll over and sell, and that will force people out of those margin positions, and then you'll start getting a cascade of st- selling at a point when there's nobody left to buy. I mean, because consumers, again, we just talked about, they don't really have a lot of money. Now, there's some, the rich still do, but a lot of other people are running low. So who's yeah. going to be there to buy the dip? That would be the question. But uh, the great thing about bear markets is you see price go down, and then dip buyers run in, and then it goes down, they run in, and at some point, they realize, well, wait a minute, I'm the fool.
0: yeah. I mean, I think that's the big worry out there. Um, we have AB asking, what's the best way to hedge my bond portfolio? What should a portfolio balance look like right now, given given the fear that we are going to see a pullback in equities? Um, I mean, always, it depends on your time horizon, your risk profile, and your finances. Let's just say that. But right. in your mind, Steve, what's a, what's a bond portfolio look like? And, and to AB's question, what's the best way to hedge your bond portfolio?
1: I mean, if 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 AB is referring to bonds as in Treasuries, obviously it could be referring to emerging markets, high yields, corporates, or anything. But if, if we're, I think we're specifically talking about Treasuries, so I'm going to answer your question, AB, as that you're in Treasuries. Um, you could use put options. You could have some long equity exposure. Um, it, usually, those things will typically work pretty well um, if if you're if interest rates do head back up, because if interest rates go up, what is it telling us that financial conditions are easy? So. So you could look at gold mine stocks, you could look at emerging markets, broad equities, or you know, just again classical put options uh, to hedge your risk.
0: We, we have a, a great question from Curious Sand. Um, and I think this is what this comes up all the time, Steve. Back to the monetary conditions you were talking about. Um the question is you say the Fed cannot print, but their balance sheets increase with four to five trillion. How do you explain that?
1: Well, it's not money printing. It's just a reserve swap. All they're doing is taking a reserve bank reserve that's created uh, on a byproduct of a customer deposit. So, so what happens is, is you know, let's say you go to a commercial bank and you deposit new money into the banking system. Now, someone will say, well, uh, where so you borrow money, so you borrow some money. New money is created. You deposit it in your account. So, what the commercial banking system does is it turns it into what's called a bank reserve. And they go out and they buy Treasury securities with your money. And so mm-hmm. if you're listening to this and you think, I hate you know, U.S. government debt, and you have money and deposit at a commercial bank, guess what? Your money has actually been used to buy Treasury securities. And so the banking system knows, the U.S. Treasury knows about the average time a commercial deposit and a consumer deposit are on the books somewhere between you know three to five years, maybe a little longer now. And what the commercial banks do is they build out a portfolio with an average duration of Somewhere around five years, and they buy treasury securities with customer deposits, and those are called bank reserves. All the Fed's doing is coming in and swapping that. They're not printing yeah. money. They're just saying, hey, we'll take that Treasury security, and we're going to give you what what's called a reserve asset. There, No money is being created at all, none, not but a penny. No,
0: no, the, no new money into the system, certainly. NONE.
1: That, the Fed, the Fed, not only does there not, no, no money is being created. The Fed doesn't even have the ability. All they're doing is saying, look, the bank has, on average, a five-year duration. A reserve asset is an overnight duration. So all we're doing is just reducing duration to zero. And if, if the question is, what is, what's actually happening here? It, is instead of that customer deposit being backed by a treasury security, it's being backed by the Fed. Mm. That'll blow some people's minds right there, Meg. I'll promise
3: you that.
0: (laughs) I I think it's so important to go over that because it it is so confusing. It comes up all the time, and and listen, you know. So everyone remembers this. This was sort of you know they were they were creating these new policies and tools in the at the height of the financial crisis when the wheels were coming off, you know, in real time. And so there isn't a big reference to go back on. And so you know, it's helpful to kind of walk through and. Um, and, and sift underneath some of those details that you say before we go Steve want to ask you we do have a jobs number an employment number coming out tomorrow here in the US usually this is so important so big because it tells us about the economy tells us about how you know ordinary folks are faring out there and also the wage part is important because that's what the fed would look like look at rather for this for what that would be sort of the sticky structural inflation of prices This time around, is it going to matter at all, given what we're seeing with the focus on on taper, which they've already announced, and the fact that we have this new variant that we're trying to wrap our heads around and what that'll mean to the global economy?
1: It will absolutely matter, Maggie, because right now, good news for the economy, bad news for the markets. Because if we come out with a decent report, and I don't know what the projected number is, um, because it's one of the most faked reports that the BLS puts out. Uh, But let's just say it's it's a decent, you know, five, six hundred thousand, whatever everyone's hoping for. What is that telling the Fed? Green light, crank up the taper. People don't want that. They think they do. They don't. So right now, good news is bad news.
0: All right. We'll have to remember that when we watch. That number comes out 8.30 a.m. Eastern. And of course, we'll be breaking it all down for you at Real Vision here. Steve, thank you so much. It was great to see you as always. Thanks for all the good insight.
1: It's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on today.
0: And thanks so much to all of you for the really great smart questions today. We appreciate it. The conversation continues over on the exchange as usual. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there.